remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Having given instructions on love in verses 1 to 6, the preacher now turns in verses 7 through 17 to the danger of false teaching that might draw believers away from the safety of the word of God. He begins this section in verse 7 with a call for his hearers to remember their past church leaders and especially their teaching and life of faith. Then in verse 8, he reminds them that Jesus Christ in his person, work, and message never changes. Next, in verses 9 to 16, he entreats them not to leave these truths for novelties. And then finally, in verse 17, he commands them to obey and to, and to submit to their present church leaders. Now, I hope to expound this section, verses uh, 7 through 17, in a few weeks. But before then, it seems wise to preach several sermons on the office of elder or pastor or what these verses call leaders or rulers, depending on your translation. Modern Christians don't seem to have a good grasp on the biblical doctrines concerning really any part of church government. This is largely because American church leaders don't believe the Bible. They don't believe the Bible speaks authoritatively on the subject of how the church should be formed and run. They don't believe the Holy Scriptures contain what has been called a church polity. Now, polity is simply a word that means a form of government. So these men don't expound what the Scriptures declare, and instead, they tend to run their churches using pragmatism or some business-oriented practices that seem right and wise to them, instead of what the Holy Scriptures say about it. But we are those who believe that God has given the church not only an inerrant, but a sufficient guide to all of church life in the Bible. And so we strongly disagree with this neglect that I have just described. We oppose the substitution of men's ways of running the church for Christ's. So let us look at what the scriptures do say what they teach in these verses about the duties of church leaders to their people. That's what we'll look at today. And in a few weeks, what your duties are to me or to others in my position. 
contrary to what some will tell you, there's actually a great deal of material both here and in the rest of the Bible on this subject. What we will look at today is only part of what the New Testament teaches. And so my plan is to preach about pastoral duties from these verses today, and then in weeks ahead to round out to the subject of pastors from the rest of the New Testament. There are many names given to leaders in the Bible. And it would be interesting if you could go home this afternoon and try to think of all the names that God uh, uses to describe the work and the persons in that office. If you can't come up with 12 or 13, at least you're missing some. That's how often God has spoken about this, and that's how widely he describes the position. If you have ears to hear, you will learn that God has given in Scripture a full description of the pastoral office, and the closer, brothers and sisters, we follow that pattern, the more we can expect God to safeguard us and bless us. Now, another matter before we look at these verses. I'm going to be using the word leader, pastor, ruler, elder, and maybe other titles interchangeably in this sermon. That's because I believe from the Bible that all of these are the same office. I'm not going to try to prove that today. I think most of you already believe that or something close to it. But in a future sermon, uh, probably in about three weeks, uh, we will see that truth clearly proven, that pastors are elders, that they are overseers, that they are rulers, that they are leaders, that they are, and the list of names goes on. I'm not going to complete that list of 12 or 13 titles for you. You've got to come up with that on your own. All right? The scriptural doctrine of offices in the church could be summarized this way. First, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. All authority in the church has been given to him by the Father, as Isaiah 9 says, the government shall be upon his shoulder. He shares it with no one else. He's not like Moses. He was the man of God. But during battle, his arms grew tired. The government wore his shoulders out. He needed two men to help hold up his arms. Jesus Christ needs no such help. He's the king of the church. And so in this sense, if we think about the church, it is right to say the church is a monarchy. But secondly, Christ delegates his authority to certain gifted men in local churches. These are called officers. And there are, in today's church, two elders and deacons. Elders rule and lead the church. Deacons serve them and the church. From this point of view, the church is not only a monarchy, it is also an oligarchy. That is, it is the rule by a few. Children, your, your homeschooling is, vocabulary is growing today. But thirdly, 
Christ also delegates other rights and powers to the entire congregation. For example, it is to the church as a whole, not the elders or the deacons, that Christ gives the right to select its leaders. In this sense, and perhaps not in many others, but in this sense, the church is not only a monarchy and an oligarchy, but it's a democracy. So the local congregational polity, that form of organization, is a combination of elder rule and congregational powers all under the kingship of Jesus Christ. And as we study the duties of and to pastors, I trust that you will see some of these things more clearly. Now finally, one more definition before we begin. The word translated leader in the ESV in all three of these verses that we read is a common word. It's used in many different contexts of life. It's used in uh, civil life or government. It's used in the military. It's used in the church. And almost every translation, English translation, either uses the word ruler or leader. A ruler uh, used to be perhaps a bit more common today. Uh, the more modern translations tend to use leader. But the word means exactly what you think it means. It means to lead, to guide, to govern, to rule. This leader is the chief man. He's the superior among men. For example, in Acts 7, verse 10, Joseph was appointed the, and here's this word, the leader, the ruler of Egypt. He was second only to Pharaoh. Clearly, he led Egypt in governing. He had power. He had authority. In Matthew 2.6, the town of Bethlehem is called not the least of the rulers of Judah. There's that word again. Why? Why would a city be thought of as a ruler? Well, because out of that city will come one Jesus who will become a ruler. There's our word again. Who will shepherd Israel. Jesus Christ is the leader of his people. He is a ruler. Notice, he's also a shepherd. In this, he's a wonderful model for pastors who don't only lead or rule, they also shepherd. And they also do about a dozen other things. God didn't multiply names and titles so that we could sound important. <laughs> he multiplied names and titles so that the fullness of the work of the office could be clearly known. So don't take a single title and go, look, all that really matters about a pastor is that he's a ruler. Or all that's really important about a pastor is that he's a, well, a pastor, a shepherd. No, no, no. If you only take one of those, you will have an imbalanced view of the pastoral office. Amen. Right? Jesus was all of these things. He was no mere guide. He wasn't just one who held people's hands. Although, according to Isaiah, he does that with you. Jesus was appointed by God to be the governor, the ruler of his people. And so these verses teach us that there are God-given governors or leaders or rulers in the local church. There is a hierarchy. They have authority. 
So if you are one who has difficulty with this idea that pastors rule in the church, please consider how all of these verses we've already read teach us that there are some in the church who lead or rule or govern it. And how they do that is what we will look at next. So let me give you, for today's sermon, four duties of pastors. Four duties of pastors from these verses. First of all, pastors teach the word of God. Notice in verse 7, the first description of these church leaders is that they are speakers of the word of God. Now the leaders in this verse have died. This is clear from the tenses of the verbs used and the fact that the outcome of their way of life can be known. In other words, their life has ended. These are past leaders. Perhaps they were the original pastors of this group of believers. How did they lead? First and foremost, how did they lead? What are they remembered? preeminently four. Well, their primary duty and the one thing they are to be most esteemed for is their preaching and teaching ministry. Note that these men were not called upon to speak their own thoughts. They were not philosophers or politicians or commentators or psychological gurus. They were not storytellers or entertainers. Instead, they constantly, and that's the emphasis here, they constantly spoke the word of God. Amen. These men studied their Bibles and presented God's law and gospel to his people. They didn't major on anything else, but they consistently explained the word of God. Paul makes this clear when he charges Timothy to act as a pastor. What is of first importance, Paul? What's the first word you give Timothy to do? What does he say? Preach the word. That's what he says. Do this in season and out of season. In other words, do it when people want to hear it and do it when people don't want to hear it. Amen. Do it all the time. Do it when Timothy was fully prepared and was quite sure that this sermon that he's got is completely ready. Or when someone just shows up and says, Pastor, I have a question and I need an answer right now. So when you're ready and when you're not. Paul's own example was not to shrink back from declaring to the churches anything that was profitable. Acts 20, verse 20. So pastors don't preach just what their people want to hear or what, or what will keep them coming back or what will make those pastors popular. No, they faithfully preach what the people of God need to hear. The word of God. <laughs> because that alone is what is healthy and profitable and needed. And Paul did all of this publicly and from house to house, that is publicly and privately. All of this tells us that a church leader's major work is to preach and teach God's word. Now this means many, many things, and I just want to give two things that it means to you before we go on to the next point. First, it means that 
a pastor must be committed to prayerfully studying the Word of God. He must be able to accurately declare it. He has to follow the apostles' example. When they are, have been given too much work, <laughs> and they say, we, we can't do this good work of serving tables because otherwise we wouldn't be able to pray and preach. So we can't do that anymore. Why? Because this has preeminence. Preaching and teaching for pastors must be preeminent. So do you want to be a pastor? Are you a church member who wants to know what your pastor's most important calling is? It is this, that they, like the apostles and these early leaders in the church that the Hebrews knew, devote themselves to the ministry of the Word of God. Devote themselves to the ministry of the Word of God. If you want to be an elder, but you are not willing to devote yourself, to persist in studying, to constantly engage in teaching, both publicly and privately, to groups and to individuals, then the office of church leader is not for you. It's that simple. But the second thing that a church leader's major work being to preach and teach God's word means is this. That the word of God is the sole instrument of a leader's rule. The word of God is the sole, the only instrument of a leader's rule. This is very important. Amen. We will study this more next time, Lord willing. But notice it here. The word of God is the entire message for the entire church, including the leader. In other words, pastors rule by the word of God and under the word of God. Pastors don't rule by speaking God's words and their own words with them. No, a pastor's leadership and rule is limited to the truths of the Bible. So when a pastor rightly teaches the word of God and calls you to obedience, he has God-given authority. That's when the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Amen. That should make all of us tremble. <laughs> to disobey the pastor at that point is to disobey God. It is to reject the rule of Christ in his church. But when a pastor demands you obey something contrary to scripture or an area of life that God leaves up to the individual conscience, then the leader is not exercising his rule properly. He then can be, and sometimes even must be, disobeyed. You see, the word of God sets boundaries for the people of God for their church rulers. Pastors don't have legislative authority. I don't get to make up laws as if they're from God and require them of you. All of my authority, all of any pastor's authority is executive. In other words, we take the laws from Jesus Christ and we declare them to you. And the church has the power to try to enforce that with you. I don't get to make up commandment number 11. 
I don't get to demand things that God doesn't demand of you. This is why we say the word of God is the only instrument of a leader's rule. Pastors are rulers appointed by Christ to implement his will in his house. This isn't about my will and this isn't my house. This is Christ's house. Amen. And how dare I usurp his place by making commandments other than what he has said. Pastors always rule under the authority of Scripture. So that's the first thing. Pastors teach the Word of God. Secondly, notice from the second half of verse 7 that they model the faith by faith. They model the faith by faith. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate. The word in the Greek is mimic. Mimic their faith. Pay really close attention. And imitate him precisely. There's safety in that. That's what they're being told. These past leaders lived consistent with the word that they taught. And so they gained the outcome, the end, the goal of the life of faith. Now we're going to look at the church member's duty another time. But clearly the leader is expected to model his teaching in his own life. He is to live the life of faith by faith. In chapter 11, remember, the people were reminded of the many heroes of the faith. They believed God's word. They lived it out. They died by faith. Well, in this verse, we find out that this, the Hebrews' first set of pastors belonged to that train of heroes. We could add them to the end of chapter 11. Right? They made it. They knew the word of God. They lived it out. And they lived it by faith all the way to the end so that we know their outcome. Their outcome. They received the inheritance. They received the well done. They arrived at heaven. They finished the race. They taught the faith and they modeled the faith in their way of life. So pastors must, must teach the precepts of God and then they have to live them out. <laughs> there must be as little difference as possible between a pastor's talk and a pastor's walk. That's another reason not to chase too hard or too quickly after the office. Because your people all have the right to come up to you and go, you said this last Sunday? You're not doing that right now. <sighs> yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> so a pastor is one who makes disciples by word and deed, by teaching and life by precept and example. This is why most of the qualifications for elders, for leaders, for rulers, are character-based. They are lifestyle tests. Because church leaders model for the members what obedience to Jesus looks like. They display hope and faith in the promises of God. 
and they finish their course in life in such a way that other Christians will say, look, following the faith as he did, it's worth it. I want to do that too. Now, no pastor models the faith perfectly any more than he teaches the truth perfectly. But that is the job description, and that's what he must work at all the time. Here's a third duty of pastors. Rule the church. This is found in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, I'm actually not going to spend a lot of time on this um, point here because in the next sermon we'll look very very carefully at these two words uh, obey and submit they have a rich precise and um, distinct meanings that will be very very helpful for you and, and me to know how to relate to one another but we all recognize that generally speaking in God's world those who rule are to be obeyed and are, be, and are to be submitted to. This is true in the sphere of the family. Fathers are to be obeyed. <laughs> Mothers and fathers are to be submitted to and honored. In the civil sphere, taxes are to be paid to those who govern. And civil laws are to be obeyed. Well, the same applies in the church. There are some that God has given to rule in the church, and so they ought to be obeyed and submitted to. It's really that simple. Now, I recognize that in some Christian circles, this is a very disagreeable truth. So I want to reinforce it from other scripture texts if you wrestle with this. We will see this even in more detail in the next sermon. We'll learn about the limits of this obedience and submission and the climate in which that should all take place. But this verse is not the only place in the New Testament that teaches that pastors or leaders rule in the church. In 1 Thessalonians 5.12, Paul tells the church to, quote, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Ooh, respect those who are my superiors when they tell me I'm not doing something right. Okay, all right. You see, there are some in the church, according to this verse, who are over others in the church. And that word translated over you simply means to govern. It means to superintend. This is rule. This is rule. In 1 Peter 5.5, 5, those who are younger, probably meaning specifically younger men, are to submit to the elders. To be subject to or submit means to place yourself under and obey. Again, this is God-ordained rule. A final example, and these aren't exhaustive, but a final example is found in 1 Timothy 5.17, which says, let the elders who rule, there it is, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Elders rule, and some have greater gifts than others. Some rule well. If so, 
Paul says they are to be appreciated and even compensated. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm not rehearsing all of this because I have felt any strong pushback to my leadership or ruling in my four years among you. I, I have not. And I honestly bless God for the love and respect and even obedience and submission you have often showed me through these years. So this sermon is not my not-so-subtle way of mm, pointing the finger at you and complaining about you to God. Not at all. But because things, I think, are going well, now is the time for us to learn these Bible principles so that if a time comes when maybe they aren't going so well, we will be well-rooted in the Word of God. Right? Here's a fourth duty of pastors. They are to watch over church members. They are to watch over church members. This is given also in verse 17. They are keeping watch over your souls. He just assumes that this is what their present pastors are doing. This is a call to every church leader to stay alert, to be vigilant in looking after the church members placed in their care. The word paints a picture of a man keeping himself awake in order to keep watch so that no one else is endangered. At times, the word pictures or describes the passing of a sleepless night in vigilance. A pastor may be anxious for specific sheep. Maybe he can't sleep that night. This is watch care over your souls. This is what he's describing. And when he wakes up, he prays to God and he begs God that this one and that one will be kept safe. This was Paul's pastoral concern in 2 Corinthians, where he twice says, I spent many a sleepless night in the service of the saints. He felt the daily pressure of the anxiety for all of the churches. And so he says, I was weak. I woke up. I was anxious. I cared for you. Well, praise God. I don't have to do that for all the churches. I can scarcely do that with God's help for the one church he's put me over. <laughs> Praise God for that. But what Paul had for all the churches, a pastor has for their church. So a leader is necessarily called to know his people. I mean, how can he, how can he watch care for your soul if he doesn't know you? That's why, that's why churches with... 40,000 people and one pastor. Something fundamentally wrong there. Amen. There's no watch care going on there at all. And souls are being required of that man when he stands before God in judgment, yes. and he won't have an answer. Amen. He'll go, who? I, I don't even know that person. You were supposed to. They were part of your church. You were responsible for them. I put you in charge. But your ego didn't share the responsibilities or plant other churches, you had to have them. So I want my answer. You have to know your people. You have to diligently watch over them for their spiritual good. 
Now, pastors aren't called to be meddlers in people's private business. But they are called to be alert to the spiritual dangers which come into their people's lives. They must encourage them when they see them advancing in the faith. And they must warn them when they see sins or temptations come. Leaders are called here by God to shepherd the flock of God. For what? For safety, for health, for well-being. Pastors have to answer to God for sheep lost to wolves if they didn't warn those sheep. Pastors will answer for sheep who wander off the path of holiness if they didn't instruct them. They must pray without ceasing for them, and they must keep an eye on their progress in the faith. So God has entrusted to pastors the constant care of the other members of the congregation. Now let me just say, that doesn't mean that other members of the congregation don't also have that same responsibility. God does not call me to something that you fundamentally aren't called to. You're supposed to speak the word of God to each other. You're supposed to pray for one another. You're supposed to watch for one another. You're supposed to love and care for one another. But I have to do it in a greater, in a formal, in an official kind of sense. How do you think you men who do that well, um, as a congregant, how, how do you think we're going to know if if you do it well as a pastor. Well, I don't have to do any of those things. That's the pastor's job. Well, then you will never be in that job if the church has got any wisdom. <laughs> you need to do it now. You need to be practicing now. Well, here are three uses and we'll be done. First, biblical churches should be elder-ruled and elder-led. Um, over the last few years, there's been a fairly prominent debate among Calvinistic Baptist churches. Are churches supposed to be elder-ruled or elder-led? Well, since in the Greek that's the same word, the answer is yes. <laughs> I never really understood that debate. Yes, yes. He's supposed to step out front. He's supposed to plan. Actually, it's not he, is it? It's supposed to be they. <laughs> They're supposed to guide, lead, advance. Others are to follow. Pastors have real although limited authority. It's given to them by Christ, and they must exercise it for the glory of Christ and the good of the saints. One of the things that we Americans despise, and rightly so, in people that we vote into government is how they often enrich themselves and don't really care for the people they represent. That should be an utter abomination to a pastor. A pastor's job is not to worry about his own welfare. It's to worry about your welfare. It's to spend and be spent on you. Amen. So Christ gives rule to elders for the good of the saints. For an elder to refuse to rule I don't want to do that. You know, that's been abused so often. Yes, yes, it has been. But does Christ command it or not? 
Well, somebody's going to think I'm proud if I, if I actually like, rule or lead. Not if they're thinking biblically, they won't. <laughs> They'll think you're too proud to obey Jesus if you don't do it. For an elder to refuse to rule is to disobey the head of the church who has delegated some of his authority to those men. Second use. Men who aspire to be elders, you need to know what's expected of you. Elders are not only teachers. That title we call gifted brother, that may be pretty much teaching only, but pastors are not the same as a gifted brother. They are guides, leaders, examples, rulers, and watchmen over the flock of God. They must love their people and sacrificially give of themselves for their people's soul safety. So men who aspire, it's a good thing you aspire to. Make sure you understand what you're aiming for. <laughs> Thirdly, and this is certainly the plea of my heart to you, pray for your leader. I would love to say leaders. <laughs> pray for your leader. Clearly, no leader, no matter how gifted or graced, can properly fulfill all of these and the other duties that we'll look at in the weeks ahead unless God supplies the strength, the wisdom, the purity, the, all that's needed. Amen. Now, I, I'm very encouraged that I regularly have some of you tell me, Pastor, I'm praying for you. I, I, uh, there just really are few words that are more beautiful to my ear because I know how much I need it. You don't have to tell me that you pray for me, but please pray for me. <laughs> please pray for me. Regularly intercede on my behalf. If you do this, Christ will be honored. Men will be helped. And you and I will together reach the spiritual benefits <laughs> that come comes from God's perfect plan of government for the church. Let's pray.